Let's take our Bibles in this time and look to God's Word together. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 40. We're going to start reading together in Exodus chapter 40, beginning in verse 34. And we're going to read from Exodus 40, 34, through to the second verse of Leviticus. So we're going to end at Leviticus 1, verse 2a. What does that mean? The first, the first half, right? <laughs> So be ready for that when we get to verse 2. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read it out loud in unison. Uh, If you don't have, if you need a Bible, I think there's some Bibles on the underside of the back row of chairs. And if there's not enough there, an usher can get you a Bible if you need one. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation... And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onwards in all their journeys... But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him, out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, dot, dot, dot. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you for your heart revealed in your word, God. And we pray now, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that this bread of life would truly be broken to us and applied to our lives and our hearts, God, for the honor and glory of your name. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Right living. That the man or the person of God, the follower of God, may be perfect. What does perfect mean? Mature, complete. Perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture. That was before the New Testament was written. 
Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I am, what I am alluding to here is there's times when we read the Old Testament when we quite frankly wonder about what we just read in 2 Timothy, right? All scripture is given by the inspiration, literally it means like breathed out by God. All scripture is useful, really? 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Looks like I'm the slowest this time around. 10, 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, I don't want you to be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all did eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was who? So maybe the Old Testament is not as Old Testament as we think it is. I'm on this um, straight through Bible plan you don't read one part old, one part new it's just straight line, just Pile drive it from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And I was speaking to my wife last night. She's like, oh, I don't know about that. Be, um, you're not getting like the New Testament. We'll find out if we're getting the New Testament. <clears throat> that rock was Christ. That sounds like the New Testament to me. Right there in the wilderness. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples And the translator's marginal note allows for figures. These things were our figures or examples to the intent that we should not lust or desire after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as some of them were, as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand, twenty-three thousand people died. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them for what? That's the second time it said that. Figures, the second time. And they are written for whose admonition? Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Okay, now let's go back to uh, Leviticus chapter 1. We're going to look at these first couple of verses here. Uh, Just the first couple of verses, but thinking about the first seven chapters in Leviticus. This this sermon is about the five offerings of Leviticus. We just read in the New Testament how all scripture is God breathed, is uh, given by inspiration of God, and how these were, were figures and examples for us, it says. And there's something about a figure that is richer than just coming out and saying the thing. Isn't that strange? Have you ever noticed that? There's something more emphatic. There's something richer about parallelisms, figures, types, if anybody's read like C.S. Lewis, The Lion, Witch, The Wardrobe, and 
or you've read other, other things that are figurative in nature, or parts of the Bible, or we've spoken about the Exodus coming out of Egypt. There's something that's even richer than just coming out and just saying it, making a, a statement. It causes you to enter in, it causes you to ponder, to think, to analyze. God is a poet and an, an emphatic communicator, teacher and inculcator. That means to teach by repetition, to teach by showing you the same thing from different angles over and over again. God knows how to communicate. So we need to be reminded of these things, especially when reading Leviticus. Leviticus makes me mad sometimes. I'll confess it. Um, But bless God, it's useful. We'll see its usefulness in a few seconds here. I want to point out that Leviticus, the name of this book, uh, that's not the Hebrew name of the book. That, that name came from the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But the, the Hebrew name for this book is actually He Calls, or He Called, or The Lord Calls. And it's taken from the first word in the book. In uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him. Now that puts a whole different light on the book, doesn't it? Instead of thinking about it as Leviticus, instead of thinking about it as a lot of bizarre things that, ironically, it wasn't even the Levites that were chiefly told to do these things. It was the, it was the priests, which is kind of funny to call it Leviticus, but, um, when you call a book by the, by, and, and call it, and the Lord called, now we're talking about the voice of Almighty God calling, calling to us. And what we've seen here as we read together, we read the preceding verses in Exodus just for context was that this Leviticus 1-1 and all, all the instructions that come after it, this happened after they built the tabernacle in the wilderness at the design of God. I mean, the plans and the blueprints were given to Moses on the mountain. They came down and did exactly what God told them. They built this... You could only call it a wonder of the world. The, 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 the tabernacle in the wilderness. If we could see it today, and some have reconstructed it, but in, at its time, it, it was a wonder of the world. Not just for its, um, its design and its construction... Uh, from people working with, I don't know how many tools they had. They didn't, I mean, they're, these are like people wandering through a desert. They don't just have like a fabric shop over here, a wood shop over here. They don't have a metal works over there. Far less where they get all the materials for it. But the design of it and how the design of every part of it spoke of Christ and his work in the church. Um, but the, I'm ta- not just the wonder of it in and of itself, but the wonder of the glory of God that fell upon it, the Shekinah glory. We just read that there was always the cloud and the fire by night, and when that moved, they moved. And when that stayed, they stayed. There's a lot just in that. But this, what we're about to look at in Leviticus 1.1, comes out of that context. They just finished it. We read the glory fell on it. So the cloud covered the tent of the the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Then, it says, the Lord called unto Moses. Everything was done, the glory fell, and God spoke. 
And he called him out of the tabernacle of the congregation. That, that's his goal. That's God's goal as tabernacle. I mean, Jesus came and died so that we could tabernacle with God. So that literally our lives could be a camp meeting with God. Let's just camp out. God's like, I want to camp out with you. I want to hang out. I want to fellowship. I'm kind of tickled by the fact that there's there's something about a tent, isn't there? <laughs> Anybody here like camping? I mean, think about that for a second. That's just bizarre. You've got these beautiful air-conditioned homes with all mod comms, and people want to go out and live under a sheet of material. You know, folks from third world countries would just laugh at us for that kind of stuff, you know? And uh, you guys go take vacations and live in the conditions that we live in 365 days of the year, you know? Um, but there's something about just being in a, a, a simple, confined space. And God's just like, let's just hang out. Even my little boys, they love, you go down into my basement and you never know what you're going to find. I'll come home and there's like tents there and these houses built out of rugs and poles and stuff. And they want to get inside there and hide and hang out. There's something comforting. God says, come into a confined space. Come into a confined space with me and let's just hang out. Let's just, let's just be there together. Let's just talk. That was God's whole goal. That was the whole center of the, um, of the Israeli society as they traveled through the desert. The, the, the center was the tabernacle. I mean, that was a big city. That was a big moving city. Where do you, how, how big is a city of three and a half million people plus animals? They reckoned it must have been three or four miles in either direction and slap back of, of tents. Talk about Woodstock, you know. I mean, and, and right there in the middle, it wasn't the courthouse. It wasn't the mall. It was the tabernacle with the glory of God. That's what their society was centered upon. And God is calling us to tabernacle. And he is speaking to us out of the tent. Out of the place of fellowship, just like he spoke to Moses, and by uh, implication, all of the children of Israel, and invited them to come to him. So, but this mechanism that God instituted, he was like, okay, here you go, boom, there's a tabernacle, here's a, a center of religious worship, that's in Exodus, when he showed the design of the tabernacle and the courtyard and all the components of it. There's a, here's a center of religious worship of the one true God, Yahweh. And then now we go into Leviticus and it's like, and here's the instruction manual for how to use it. Here's what you're going to do with that, that brazen altar, the altar of incense. And whoa, hang on there. Don't just tear the box open and start using it without reading the instructions first. God called to them out of the tabernacle. So, so he, he instituted this mechanism for fellowship. It was incomplete. It was a forerunner of what was going to be fulfilled 1500 years later. But for the time being, he was going to, he was going to settle for it and, and prepare mankind and the world for what was to come. <clears throat> But what we read in the sacrifices was that it was to bring them to a place of fellowship and keep them in a place of fellowship. Because what you do when the, when the train comes off the tracks is it inevitably will. 
It was this mechanism to bring them into fellowship and to keep them in a place where the door to fellowship was open. And the Lord was calling. And here I'm just... It grabs my attention, these first two verses in Leviticus, when it says, and he, and, he, and he called and he spoke to them out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, speak unto the children of Israel, verse 2, and say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord. It's quite a statement, isn't it? If any man of you bring an offering to the Lord. I think that first word, if, is kind of hilarious, don't you? I mean, this was a kind of optional thing. Uh, God's like, if anybody, hey, if anybody has it on their heart to bring an offering to the Lord, dot, dot, dot. And this is when he gets into his five offerings, his five sacrifices. But what kind of an if is that? Um, he's talking to, like I said, we're not, we know there were 600,000 men. That excludes, uh, Men that were younger, whatever, how they did that age of 20, military age, I don't know, women, children, um, animals. But he's speaking to this nation of uh, maybe several million people who have just seen 10 supernatural plagues destroy possibly the greatest superpower on planet Earth at the time. Economically and militarily decimated that nation. I don't know that it's ever recovered since. Right. If. Now you just seen me in action. If anyone feels like worshipping me, dot, 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 dot. If. They saw the Red Sea parted. If. Anyone wants to. They went into a desert with nothing to eat. Food that had never been seen before or since on planet Earth fell from the sky and they ate it. They didn't just see it. They heard it. They tasted it. If anyone wants to bring me an offering, that's hilarious. Water came gushing out of a rock. Not just a little, not just a little sprinkle, a river flowing out of a rock. Whereby in the middle of the desert, they had enough water to fill the bronze laver. You ever wonder, where do they get the water from the bronze laver? Where do they get the olives for the olive oil for the candlestick? Where do they get the acacia wood? God supplied it all. If, that's just hilarious. Who wouldn't want to have a personal piece of this God? Who wouldn't want to figure out a way Okay, I've seen him. I've, I've been a bystander to this whole action. Let me have a piece of the action. I want a piece of this God. And he's like, if? Wouldn't you want to personally respond to this God? I mean, it's the mystery of the ages. Why don't men obey God? Right. Why not? Why wouldn't anyone right. want to respond to God? Why wouldn't anyone look out at the sky and the trees and the season and the grass and the animals and the fact that we have food to eat and say, who is this God? Where is he? And what can I do to get his his attention? Why wouldn't anybody want to do that? And he says, if. He didn't make a big deal out of it. He didn't say, I'm so great, you better come and sacrifice to me now. So if anybody just feels like it, well, you can do this if you want. And then he listed these five offerings. 
It was just a, a simple invitation. This is for whosoever will. It wasn't forced on anyone. You know, they may have seen it with their eyes. But it wasn't any easier than it is today. Right. Even when they saw it with their eyes. He was invisible and he still is invisible. The trickiness of the heart means that one millisecond after a miracle happens, you're still wondering if it was real. Yeah. It was the same for them. One second after every miracle happened, they were still like, is this for real or did I imagine this whole thing? And it's the same with us today. Amen. One second after we're healed, we're like, was that really God? Yeah. Or, and, we're, and we're like forgetting it and stuff like that. One second after our, our, our family members are saved and turned from their sin, we forget. The, the heart issues were the same for them to them the, back then as they are for us today. And the option to respond is always afterwards, isn't it? It's always after God has acted comes the option to respond. And are we going to harden our heart to what he just did? Are we going to forget it? The heart is deceitful above all things. But for those who had ears to hear and to hold on to what they had experienced in the last two years, because remember it says it was two years to the day that they set up the tabernacle after they left Egypt, an invitation was given by God. They just established the, the, the mechanism, the center of worship. And I can imagine that some of them were raring to go, even. You know, on one hand, you've got some people that are like, Wow, hello, wake up! Where's the infinite? Come on, let's worship him. Let's let's tear the wrapper off of this new thing. Let's use it. Let's worship God. And then another extreme, you got the other people that are too zealous and they're too ready to do it, and they're already um, starting to prepare a sacrifice based on what they've seen in the past. Well, oh, we already know what to do. We remember what Abraham did. God's like, no, 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 wait a minute. If anyone wants to bring a sacrifice, I'm about to give you instructions that are right up to the date for today and for now. It's not based on what you saw in the past. It's not based on what happened in the garden after the sacrifice was necessary or what Abraham, Isaac or Jacob sacrificed. This is a new thing now. So you folks that are rearing to go and think you've already got worked out, you better hold on too. You people over here that are still wondering about the if, if you want to bring an offering, you better speed up a little bit. God of the universe has got our attention. Hmm. Praise God. Says, if any man of you bring an offering to the Lord, if you desire to interact with an invisible God, listen, just wait, just listen, just pay attention. Don't be too slow, don't be too fast. But think of that. Faith says, this invisible God that did all these things, I didn't see him doing them, but I know they came from him. I know there's got to be a way to get his attention. Can you believe that there's a way that we can get the attention of the God that created and sustained the universe? You can get his attention. You can get the attention of this same God that put water out of the rock, that put the plagues in Egypt, Every single one of us in this room can get his attention. That ought to be enough to blow our minds right there. Yeah. 
that he would have any attention to us or what we do, that it would make any difference to him whatsoever. It's amazing. Faith. There are specific acts by which we can interact with this God. We can respond to him and he'll respond back more. We know he's God. We know he's not a man. It may not be like, uh, hi God, you know, lose it with a human being, you stick out your hand and it'll provoke some kind of response if they have some kind of heart in them. You know, you don't have to tell someone shake your hand. If you stick your hand out, then they'll probably move and start shaking it, you know. But that's with a man. Yeah, there's things we can do with God. We can stick out a hand to God. He's about to tell us how. think there's anything we could do that he would be interested in whatsoever come on in God shake my hand you want a chip some salsa take a little snack while you're here how about a little present I'll give you my favourite cowboy boots you want them that's an offering isn't it isn't it an offering where you hold out a plate to someone? Here, do you want a cookie? Do you want some chips? That's an offering. Right. You don't know if they're going to take it or not. Do you want these, God? They're my favorite cowboy boots. God's like, hmm, how much did they cost you? Hmm? How hard did you have to work for them? Will you miss them when they're gone? Will you be able to replace them easily? In other words, how much heart currency is in that offering? You see what I'm saying? How much heart currency? Will you really miss it? Did it cost you? Is your heart in it? What you're willing to give to me? Oh, there's heart currency in it. They're heart valuable. It's an expression of your love and devotion to me. I'll take it. I'll take it. We can make the God of this universe respond back to us. There's things we can do that will cause him to respond, that will draw down the God of the universe. Yes, if you want to interact with me, bring me your heart attachments, the heart attachments of your life. Bring them to me. In this case, in the five offerings, it was a, it was a bull. I don't think it was a female bovine in any of these particular examples. It was once elsewhere, but it was a, a bull. A sheep, a goat, a bird. According to your ability. According to your ability. Think of that. Isn't God good? It says in Corinthians, it says, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that which a man hath. Not according to that which he hath not. God is good. All he asks you is to bring your best. Nobody else's best. Just yours. You never ask more than our best. No one is disqualified except by themselves. But you can't be disqualified by anyone else apart from yourself. And he says, if, it's willing, it's it's a willingness. If any man wants to, if any man is just bursting to interact with me and he's like, well, I've got to bring God a present. If anyone, okay, if you want to bring me an offering, you can. I'll pay attention, and here's some options for for doing it. Notice how worship 
is not a... I've shared the mountain bike story with you guys several times. It was an idol that got into my heart at one point in my life. But if we use that as an example, worship is not kind of like, you know, coming to the all earth. It's like, oh, boo-hoo, I've got to give God my pet mountain bike that I really love. But I'm going to worship God. Here it is. Oh, no, I'm going to miss it. I wish I didn't have to do it. That wouldn't make for much of a worship service right there, would it? I don't think that's the kind of offering that God had in mind. It's more like uh, this mountain bike. Take it. Here. Take the helmet and all the accessories that go with it too. Take the lights and the reflectors. If it's getting in the way of me and you, God, I don't want it. Take it. It's junk. It's not fun. Take it. I want you to have it. I want to worship you. It's a privilege. And I'm not even going to regret it. I'm not going to turn back. Here, do you want more to go with it? That's worship. He says, if any man wants to. If any man would. If any of you wants to bring an offering, here's how you do it. So, that is what I've shared so far is really just Leviticus 1, 1, 1, 2. In a few seconds, in about five minutes, I'll share Leviticus 1 through 7, a summary of the contents. But before I do that, just pondering further the whole nature of this offering business. Um, they, many of these offerings were burned. You ever heard that you've got the phrase, don't burn your bridges? How do you put a burnt bridge back together? There's no turning back. There's no turning back. You don't regret it. You don't go back and change your mind and try and piece it back together from the rubble. It's burned, it's burned. It's put into pieces so small that they can only ascend upwards and you can never put it back together. It's an irreversible process. Many of these offerings, with the exception of the food offering, um, they were burned. If anyone wants to offer me something, burn it. Don't even look back. Don't even try and put it together again. It's gone in smoke to me. These things, it was burnt, it was irrevocable. These these offerings, it represented their life. You know, to us, it's just like some bizarre thing, you know, a goat, a, a bull, whatever. That was their labor to raise those animals for years, their livelihood, the future. I mean, those animals were there for a reason. That was their dinner for the next year. Right. That was the, they, they, didn't, they didn't trade with coin back then. You know, it was their economic um, trade in peace to feed them, those animals, the future provision of health for them. For us today, it would be like, go, go, um, go get 10 grand out of the bank and just put it down there and light it with a match. To God. Just burn it and say, I don't care. It was worth it. I would do it again. You ever feel that with this whole following Jesus thing, letting the Holy Spirit lead in your lives, that you're in this thing way over your head and there's no turning back? I think that's good. 
I think that's where we should be. There's no turning back. We're in this thing way over our heads. Um, take your vehicle. Yeah. Take a vehicle. Douse it in gasoline. Put a match to it. It was more than their belly. It was more than their comfort. It was more than their status. It was their self-reliance, wasn't it? I've got myself covered. I've got a bull out there. I'll feed my family for the next year after we smoke it. It was their burned their self-reliance on the altar. They burned their self-provision on the altar. And they said, God, you are more real than what I've got stored up. You are more of my provider than the guy that signs my paycheck. It's coming from you. You are the true Jehovah Jireh. You're more real. You're more important. Is that what we're like today? Do we have an altar mentality, a sacrifice mentality, an offering mentality, a burn-up mentality? That doesn't matter to me mentality because I know who's truly signing the check. I know where my provision really comes from. You find out when something messes with... (laughs) I'm disabled. I can't work anymore. How how am I going to get a paycheck? Who's going to provide for me? Well, the same guy that was providing you when Mr. Chrysler was signing your paycheck. The same guy that was providing for you then will provide for you now. So they were willing to take these symbols of their self-reliance and everything they had and burn it and give it up to God and say, there you go, God. I worship you. All these issues were wrapped up in sacrifice and God has invitation and is calling for us to believe him and to offer our hearts and our heart ties to him in the same manner. So, a couple other interesting points. Um, Okay, 600,000 families and one place of offering. You think there was a long line to do that? You think you had to stand in line, like literally for days, to get your chance to offer your offering? I hope, you, I hope you should. I hope it wasn't so rare that it was easy to get in. What about... Um, it's one thing to read something on paper. You look at these offerings here, one of them in particular. I can't remember which one it was. It may have been the burnt offering. But anyways, on some of the offerings, there was different things that the priest did and there was different things that the offerer did. One of them, it was specifically the offerer that took the animal and slit its throat and killed it. Now, it's one thing to read that on a piece of paper. You go onto YouTube and put in there, um, sacrifice goat. Animal sacrifice. You may not even have the guts to watch a video of it. You may not have a guts to even to watch a video of someone taking an animal by the neck. I've got a friend who was raising sheep down here outside Cincinnati and all the Muslims would come out to buy their 
kosher, their version of kosher. What is it called? Alal. They would come out there to his farm. He just put an advert on Craigslist, says, you know, sheep for sale. They'd all come out there. They would slaughter them in his driveway. Drain the blood, throw them back of their truck, go home. Some of us would struggle even watching that, far less doing it. When you look an animal in the eye and realize it has the same God-given life and God-given breath that we have, and then take it and kill it for sin, for offering, you realize that sin has a price. When the life of an animal, by condescension of God alone, not that the life of an animal could ever take away sin, as we're explained in the New Testament, but by condescension of God alone, it's a 1,500-year advanced paycheck is what it was on Jesus. And you could look at the life of that animal, and one second that thing be a living, breathing being, and a few seconds later, after the blood spills out, it's just a dead piece of meat on the ground. All for what? For your sin. Maybe that would make us think twice about some of the things that we do that we claim we can't stop doing that we know do not please God. That's pretty sobering right there, isn't it? I'm just on a couple of, I'm just giving a couple of final arbitrary general points about offering before I give a quick summary of these five, these five offerings here. So, you go in there, there's blood everywhere. You can't escape blood. You can't escape the necessity of blood. You can't escape the fact it's all by Blood, that I can even step in here, that I can even approach God. But basically, as a really simple summary, um, and I'll give you these five points on these five offerings, but hopefully it'll help, it'll begin a, a mental structure and filing cabinet and some simple differentiations between them by which you can continue your study as you read the Bible from year to year. But you have the burnt offering, that's the first one that we're familiar with. And it was, it was described first in Leviticus, but it was not necessarily the chronological first in the order of how they were done or how they were offered. Um, but it was, I believe, mentioned here first because in a way it was the highest. It was the, the burnt offering. Everything was burned up. The whole animal, every part of it, apart from the skin, I believe. The priests were able to keep the skin. But apart from that, everything they didn't cut the animal, it wasn't filleted, nothing, just the whole thing was burnt up. And that speaks, all these offerings, they have multifaceted meanings. Part of it is it speaks of the work of Christ, the person of Christ, and what he enables us to do through the work of Christ. But we have this complete and finished work of Christ. We have that Christ offered himself completely to us. And through him, we have the ability to offer ourselves completely, everything burned up, total consecration, our whole life offered to God. That's what we have in Romans 12, 1, isn't it? Offer yourself a living sacrifice to God, holy, pleasing, acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. That was, that was the burnt offering. The first three offerings are mostly voluntary. There were certain times they were prescribed, but most of the time... It was just like you didn't have to do it. It was just like it was on your heart. I want to offer God this burnt offering. Um, the 
the, the King James says meat, but it, King James uses the word meat for food in general. So the second one was the food or the grain offering. There's a really neat symbolism in this because a couple of neat symbolisms in this in that there was no death in this one. It wasn't an animal sacrifice. It came from grain, says fine flour. So therefore, it kind of represents not Christ's death, but his perfect life. Because if you have to grind grain yourself, you've got a consistency issue. You don't just throw it in your Vitamix and switch it on, leave it running for about 120 seconds, and it's all pure powder. You're grinding that in that mortal and pestle, okay? You better make sure you see the job through to the end. Don't quit. Be consistent. Make sure that you get it all ground down until the whole batch is fine. Don't just quit and leave lumps in there. Don't just quit and leave bits that are chunky and bony and grindy and hard to chew on because you didn't bother grinding it through to the end. There's an offering to God right there. It's an offering of consistency. It speaks of the consistent life of Jesus. That Jesus' life was perfect. There was no hidden lumps in Jesus. Now while we come and we offer to God this, 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 this fine grain offering and, and we stick with the work of God and the call of God and we grind down every lumpy bit in us that hasn't been ground down and Christ was the perfect fulfillment of that, all of us have got some hidden lumps somewhere. Some hidden little grains that haven't been ground down yet by the Holy Spirit. However, it doesn't, it does not, and we need to love and accept each other even if we look kind of nice and fine on the surface, but when you dig down through the batch, oh, I found little pockets of grainy stuff. We've got to love and accept each other despite of when we find those pockets of grainy bits. But our goal in this offering is to offer ourselves wholly all the way through the batch and consistent to God. That was the, uh, that was the meal offering. There was a piece of the fellowship offering. That's certain parts of that offering were given to God. Certain parts were given to the priest but both were fed. It was like a fellowship meal with God and man. God and the priests, they were both offered parts of that offering. They had communion with God and with one another. We thank God and celebrate, and, and it was joint participation, which that's what fellowship means. So through Christ, we can be at peace with God and with one another. And be at peace with what is his work and what is ours. What is his part and what is ours. Just like in that sacrifice, part went to God, part went to the, the priest. We can be at peace with what part's ours, what part's God, what reward is ours and what reward is someone else's. God wants us to be at peace. He doesn't want us to be in turmoil. He wants a peace offering. The last two were less voluntary but necessary. There was the sin or guilt offering, and that was a constant, a constant cleansing from the sin nature. It says if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us constantly from all unrighteousness. Every single one of us needs that. We need that constant cleansing, not from a specific sin necessarily, but just the cleansing of the blood of Jesus upon our sin nature. And the last one, the trespass offering, was more for specific transgressions or sins and included restitution, which is a lot of times adding the 
Like, who was that that said in the New Testament, see, I give all my goods to the poor, and was that Levi, or was it Zacchaeus, or give back, give back one-fifth, and all that good stuff. In that offering, we're reminded that, yes, there is a penalty to sin, there is a cost to sin, there are consequences to sin, but Christ came, and he redeemed it, and not only did he redeem it, but he restored us to a place beyond where we were to start with. God's charged 20%. Jesus added 20%. Praise the Lord. He restores the years that the locusts have eaten. And through him, all things can work together for good to those who are the called. According, not to our purposes, but according to his purposes. And the final conclusion is, you know, there was a fullness here. There was these five offerings, these five specific offerings that God um, invited them to give. And as we progress in this Christian life, as we are maturing, we find there's different flavors of challenges, different flavors of sacrifices and offerings that we need to bring to God to show him that our hearts are truly his. And God wants us to explore all of them. He wants us into all the flavors of offering our heart to him. You know, you can go along for 10 or 20 years and think you've got this thing pretty much down pat. And then boo-hoo! You just get into a situation in life and you're, the, 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 hearts, the strings of your heart are getting tugged on and you're like, whoa, God, I didn't realize that you hadn't messed in that area yet. Because like, oh yeah, there's five offerings and I want them all of them brought before me. And he's also wanting us to see the fullness, the fullness of Christ, the person of Christ and the work of Christ the different flavors of approach to him, the different varieties of heart offering. Do you think that Moses understood all this the first day that he got it? Like Moses is hearing this for the first time. What were you like the first time you read this? You're like, ooh, that's all a blur of crazy nonsense stuff. But as he experienced, he's like, oh, well, here's the altar, here's the stuff. Uh, Give me one of those bulls. Let's give it a try. You go and you try it and you experience God and you learn to understand the issues of your heart and the nature of offering and sacrifice to him as you experience it. Not from just reading it in a book or hearing it the first time. And God is calling from the place of fellowship and asking us to step into it and to experience it, to go ahead and try and ultimately to experience him, to fellowship with him fully through the offering of every aspect and dynamic of our lives. Dear God, we thank you for the mystery of your word. Uh, the truth of it, the types, the images, all of this is is good for us today as we seek to know you and seek to approach you, God. And we just pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd lead us on in this journey of knowing you, fellowship in you, tabernacle with you, and that you'd give us courage to offer ourselves to you in every angle and every flavor that is required. In Jesus' name, amen.